All right, I think uh, maybe, maybe. If we got more coming in, just, just let them in. All right, cool. So this morning, I just wanted to say uh, just what an honor it is to just be able to be uh, a pastor here, to be able to um, be influenced by so many uh, godly, strong women. Uh, I'm reminded of 2 Peter 1, 5, where Paul uh, talks to Timothy. He says um, about Timothy's faith, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And so I want to tell you this morning, like there's such an important place in the home for a mother when it comes to raising a child in the faith and guiding them into the faith and to the ways of our Lord. And so uh, we just want to honor you, whether you're a foster mom, a, a grieving mother this morning, a stepmother, a adopted mother, a spiritual mother, a grandmother, no matter what kind of mother you are, we want to honor you this morning. We want to pray for you. Um, and so let's just pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the um, just days like today, Father. Lord, sometimes we feel like days like today are silly because we feel like we should honor our moms every day. So God, this morning, God, we just want to pray a special blessing over our mothers. We want to pray a special blessing over their homes, God, as they lead uh, their children, Father, and as they are in their marriages, Father. I pray that you would bless those relationships, God. I pray uh, for greater influence from our moms in this church to continue to do the things they're doing, to have perseverance, God, and endurance to do the things that you've called them to do, Father, in this church, in this world, as believers. Lord, we love you. We love them. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Everybody good? Cool. So this morning we're jumping back into our authentic series. Uh, we've been we've been away for a, a few weeks, and so uh, we want to jump right back into this series. And um, the question that we've been asking is, what does it mean to be an authentic disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be an authentic disciple of Christ? And um, for a while, we believe the Lord has been leading us towards this topic of authentic discipleship. And so we, what, what we're seeing is if, if we're going to be a church, if we're going to see the Big C Church finish the mission, finish the unfinished task of seeing God's glory, God's word, the gospel reach the ends of the earth, we cannot normalize spiritual laziness and complacency and still be effective. We can't do that. And so we're called by God to live with an urgency for the mission. So what does it mean? The question I want to ask, can I get your mind turning this morning, is kind of get you reminded of what it means to be an authentic disciple. What does it mean to be authentic? And a more important question is, what does it mean to be authentic in a culture that's leading you to be inauthentic, right? Everything we do in our culture, the things that we, 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 we buy, things we can't afford, we, we, do, we, we, we put things on Facebook that aren't real life, right? We put our best foot forward. We try to fool people to think we're cooler than we are, right? I know I do. And so we have this place where everything in our culture teaches us to be inauthentic when the Bible is calling us to be authentic disciples of Christ. And so um, at Connection, everything that we do is going to center around making disciple, making disciples, because our mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus, and that's our heart. Our goal in everything we do is to see healthy disciples multiplied, because what we know is being a disciple is not about what we do as much as it is is about who we are in Christ, right? We wait this morning. Okay, good. I'm going to need y'all with me this morning because this is good. This is going to be a good time. Because what we do is going to always flow out of who we are. So knowing who we are in Christ is so important. A disciple, um, we've identified, we've, we've defined this the last five weeks of this series, uh, is someone who follows Jesus, someone who is being transformed by Jesus, and someone who has joined Jesus on his mission. And so look at your life and look at your walk and say, am, am I following Christ? Am I being transformed? Am I different today than I was yesterday? Am I on mission for Christ? Have I read the Bible and said, hey, this is God's mission for the world. I have molded my life to that mission. Is that me? Is that my life? And if you can't say yes to those things, we have some work to do, right? 
And my heart is that we would follow Jesus in that because it's about identity, who you are in Christ. And the, 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 the centerpiece of this series is the, the identity is going to play, this identity in Christ is going to play itself out in five marks of an authentic disciple. What we see in the New Testament, disciples are identified, disciples of Jesus are identified as being worshipers of God, uh, a family member, a church member. We talked about that. They're, they're identified as servants of others. They're identified as good stewards of God's resources. And today what we're going to look at is they're identified as being witnesses to the world or missionaries. Every member is what? Every member is a missionary. Y'all got t-shirts last week to remind you if you were the connected charge, right? All right, cool. So last time we were in this series, we looked back at Luke 19 and we saw the story of the Midas. Everybody remember that? We, we track him with that? Um, Jesus gave this story, and what it says is we saw how as Christ followers, we have one job. That's what we said. You have one job as a Christ follower, to be a steward, because that can be summed up for everything in your life. We're called to be faithful stewards of everything that God has given us. Invest everything that you have to make a kingdom impact, because what did we say? We said that the Great Commission is a costly command. It's not easy. It's a costly command for every Christian, every follower of Christ who says, Jesus is my Lord, to go, to be baptized, and to make disciples of all nations, to disciple all nations. And being a faithful steward, what does it mean? It means through the body, being a faithful steward through the body, through the church, what it does is it keeps us focused because where there's no lone wolf Christianity, we're, we're doing this together. We're locking arms, going together, and it keeps us reminded that it's not about us and that we need each other, Right? Because left to our own devices, you're going to think the world, everything in the world, the church, everything's about you. That's what sin does in our life. And kind of the theme of this, this series is from Galatians 3.29. that It talks about us being seeds of Abraham. What we said was, if you're an heir to the purposes, or if you're heir to the promises of God, then you're an heir to the purpose of God. If you're an heir to the promise, you're saved, then you're an heir to the purpose that God has in this world. And so today we're going to look at what it means to be an authentic disciple through the mark of a witness or a missionary. And so what Jesus is going to say, he, he, Jesus himself in Acts chapter 1 describes followers of Christ as witnesses. He says, he says, when you receive power from the Holy Spirit, you receive power to be my what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so there's a, there's a mission there. You, re, you receive power to do something with that power to be sent out. Because the world needs to see a demonstration of Christ from the church that accompanies our explanation of Christ to the world. It has to. If we're just saying, Jesus, 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 don't do this, don't do that, without a demonstration, all we are is hypocrites, clanging symbols. Our heart is that we would be a church that is showing a demonstration of Christ's love to the world. Every Christian, every Christian is called to live the way Jesus lived, to adopt his way of life. Jesus used every second of his life to push God's mission forward. The final command that we see Jesus giving his disciples was to what? Make disciples. Teach them what I taught you. Teach them the ways of the kingdom. And we realize that heaven doesn't count professions of faith, guys. Heaven doesn't count professions of faith. Heaven counts disciples of Jesus. Remember that this morning, because being a missionary is more than... Is, is, more, is more about obedience than it is about calling. Hear that this morning. That's, the, that's the, the foundation that I want to start this morning, is being a missionary is more about obedience than it is about calling. And so this morning, let's just pray together, and I just pray that you guys would, would, would we would come in together, like we're in a little living room here, and have a conversation about what it means to be a missionary. 
um, that we wake up a little bit. I think all the people that usually, I think Patrick's not here, so I don't hear anybody like chat, chirping back. So um, I feel lonely up here. So anyway, let me just pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you, God, that you've called us to be on your mission. God, I pray everything that's said and done here this morning would be honoring to you. God, I pray that you would hide the speaker behind your, uh, your cross. God, that you would increase, that I would decrease, Father. Uh, that you would just receive glory and honor from everything that's said. God, move us into action. Move us into the direction that you're calling us, Father. Make us, uh, give us a heartbeat for the nations. Give us a heartbeat for your mission in the world and help us to see it clearly, Father, uh, from Scripture, what you're calling us to do, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been here any amount of time or if you've been my friend for any amount of time, I probably told you this story, but I want to tell you the story again, okay? I, I, I realized one time when I was a, a youth pastor that I was scared of heights, Okay. It took me like 20 years to realize I was scared of heights. So I took my students one day. I was a youth pastor um, back in the former life. Um, but I took them to a, an outdoors kind of camp. We did like high ropes courses. Uh, we did paintball. We did all kinds of whitewater rafts and different things. And it was all included in this one area. And so one day we were doing the high ropes course. We got to this little ledge, and there was this mountain. It was the biggest mountain in the world. Okay, It was in Tennessee. It's not the biggest mountain in the world, but it seemed like it at the time. And so there was two mountains, and so they had this little platform built out over into the valley, and you would just get a, you would strap yourself in, you'd add a cable, and you would swing out over the valley, and then you would swing back, and you would until until you get until you're done. And so we had like 20 students going with us for this trip. So I was like, guys, this is gonna be so fun. You gotta do this. It's safe. It's fun. It's awesome. You'll you'll hate it if you don't do this. And so whenever an 18 goes. And there's one person in front of me. I was like, whoa, uh-oh, I got to go. And so I'm sitting here telling all these guys to go, go, go. And I get on this platform. What you do is you sit on the ledge, and then you just push yourself off. And so I'm sitting here like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, rough. And so there's a many other. My wife can tell you other stories where I've, I've had some experiences with uh, some heights on our honeymoon. Uh, I felt like I was going to die. I'm, I'm just lucky to be here with you guys this morning. But anyway, so I was sitting there. I was sitting there, and I, I, was, I, got, I froze up for like 15 minutes, like 15 of the longest minutes in the entire world. I was like, how, I was like bro, like, and it was really like probably like five minutes, but it felt like 15. I'm sitting there like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And there's 20 kids like down there like laughing and pointing and screaming, saying, you can do it. It's safe. It's safe. And so I was like, not. And so finally I did it, and the entire time I was like, my white knuckle in the cable, I was, my heart was racing. I was about to throw up. The whole, it was, I don't know what it was, but I just couldn't do it. But I'm not really necessarily scared of heights. It's just this fear of falling, right? And so what I've learned, what I've learned is, uh, you know, I, it, remi it reminded me of a quote that I read this week from C.S. Lewis. What he says is, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or its falsehoods become a matter of life or death. It's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong as long as you are merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a cliff. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? So as I was thinking about that, this reminds me, that story that I just told you reminds me of what I've done and what we've done, what the Big C Church has done with the gospel. We can say or we can know all the right things, but if our lives don't reflect the gravity of the message, what I believe, I believe that is a form of unbelief because what happens is we affirm with our minds while hardening our hearts to the realities. And I think if we're not careful, we can get in trouble with this and we can become an ineffective church. My question that I kind of want to start your mind on this trail with me is, how does a person, how does a person that truly believes the gospel relate to the world? 
How does a person that truly relates to the gospel, do you truly believe the gospel? The person that truly believes the gospel is what it is. How does that person relate to the world? Um, I'm going to give you a little brief vision into the lives of our men's retreat. We had a men's retreat last weekend, right? You guys were there? Yeah? I heard one girl, you went there. So anyway, um, you might have been there. I just might not have seen you. I don't know. So anyway, so... We had a men's retreat, and we were around the fire, and we were doing men things. Everybody was grunting and eating meat, and we were doing, doing things. You know? And so we were just doing man things, right? And so we were hanging out, and so we got up to this place, and there was this lull, and one of our worship guys that were there coming, and he challenged us just, just to, to speak out who God was to us. And around the fire, there was, they were, he was my king. He's my hero. He's the author and the perfecter of my faith. And while we were doing that, God was convicting my heart. And I was like, man, like I know these guys and I know myself. And I'm not sure if they struggle like I do sometimes because I believe God is my king. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of my faith. But does my life reflect that? And so when I asked him is, do we live like these things are true? Do you live like you are serving a king? Does our life match our mouth? What his mouth says, we believe. And I'm reminded of John chapter 9, where the blind man comes. He don't know who Jesus is. He gets, he, Jesus spits in the ground, gets some mud, puts it on his eyes, tells him to go wash his eyes out in the pool, and he can see. He comes before the Pharisees. He says, who healed you? He says, I don't know anything. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And so he tells the world of what Jesus did for him. The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, we see Jesus calling her out. Hey, you're the man you're married to and your wife you had, and your husband, you had four husbands for him. I, I, this man, come and see because he's told me everything that I've ever done. Come and see. Guys, following Christ takes more than a verbal assent to the reality of Christ's kingship. It takes more than just a verbal assent to his kingship in your life. Charles Spurgeon one of my favorite authors, pastors, theologians, go check him out if you have never read any of his stuff. He was once asked by one of his students, he was a professor at a, at a Bible college, whether he, he was asked by one of his students whether um, those who had never heard about Jesus could ever be saved. Has anybody ever had that question before? What about the people in the jungles that never hear about Jesus? How can they be saved? Anybody ever asked that? Like we, we've, all, we've all had that thought process. What about the person who never hears, never hears about Jesus? And he replied, he says, a troubling question indeed. That's how smart people Reply to the questions. A troubling question indeed. But even more troubling, he said, was whether we who know the gospel and do nothing to take it to the lost could actually be saved. Let that sink in for a second. He said, he said, that's a troubling question, but even more troubling is he, he said, was we who know the gospel and do nothing to take it to the lost could actually be saved. He said, he went on to say, if Jesus is precious to you, you would not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it into your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your spouse. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Your heart will speak. Your eyes will flash as you talk about Jesus's sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. I love that quote, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to hear that, Right? And he went on to say, and I love this, hear this, burning hearts will always result in flaming tongues. Burning hearts will always result in flaming tongues. If I love Jesus, if I'm a follower, and if the gospel has truly taken root in my life, my tongue will burn with just the passion of what God's done through the gospel. It'll never get old because I'm, I'm completely reminded daily of what Christ did on the cross and what he did by rising from the grave. 
I'm reminded of, of the beauties of the gospel. And anyone who truly encounters Jesus won't need to be forced or coerced to join him on his mission. And this is exactly what we hear Paul talk about in Corinthians, why, why, why he is willing to go to such extreme measures to get the gospel to people that don't have it. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, it says, For the love of Christ, what? Compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached the conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Has the life, has the love of Christ in the gospel opened your eyes to your assignment? Has the love of Christ in the gospel opened your eyes to your assignment? If you're a believer this morning, if you're not a believer this morning, if you've gone through the motions, you're a cultural Christian, you may not be, I don't know where you're at this morning, but that, if you're not a true follower of Christ, this mission is not for you. And you won't, you won't feel the urge to go. You won't feel the urge to share God's love or share the gospel because God, the God's spirit's not in you. And I'm not, and that's not rude, that's just word. Um, Romans 15, I want to, let's look at Romans 15. This is, uh, this is Paul concluding his um, letter to the Romans. And we're going to look at this in depth today. Um, let's, look, let's start in verse 8. I start in verse 8 because there's some things that I want to kind of bring out towards the end of the sermon today. And it says this, Romans 15, verse 8. And we're going to read all the way to verse 24. It says, it says, For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers and so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. So Gentiles in the Bible is, is the same word we get nations from. Um, eth ethne is the word that we get in the Greek in that, in that moment. It says, and so the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, he brings in some scriptures from 2 Samuel and Psalms. He says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with, with his people. That's from Deuteronomy. And again, praise the Lord, all the Gentiles, that all the peoples praise him. That's from Psalms. He goes and says, and again, he's, he's just quoting the Old Testament after the Old Testament. The root of Jesse will appear, and the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, and Gentiles and nations will hope in him. That's from Isaiah. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say, verse 13 is so important because it shows you that the hope you have in Christ is not just for you. The hope you have in Christ is not just for you. May God of hope fill you with joy and peace so that you may overflow with hope by the power of God and the Holy Spirit onto other people, into the world. Let, let your hope be known by all. Verse 14, my brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that also they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. He's talking to the church here. Verse 15, nevertheless, I've written to remind you and more boldly on some points because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God, for I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. So everything he is talking about for the Gentiles, for the glory of God, for the Gentiles to be able to worship for the nation, all people in all the world to worship God as Lord. By the power of the miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit, as a result, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. That's a thousand mile distance. 
My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. It means his aim is to go to places where the gospel is not, to go preach the gospel where it is not, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not, this is from Isaiah 52, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why, the reason why my aim to go preach where, where Christ has not been named, this is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I'll, I no longer have any work to do in these areas, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I, I pass, whenever I travel to Spain, for I hope to see you when I pass through and be assisted by you for my journey there once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. He says, I have, he says, I've been permitted to, I have been from, prevented from coming. Uh, I, have no, I have no work to do there anymore. Does that mean everybody was saved in the places he was at? No. It means there was the gospel there, there was the word there, and there was a church. There was a multiplying church there. So his work was done. The gospel was there. Disciples were being made. Churches were being planted. His work was done. He's moving on to places that don't know the gospel, that don't have disciples, that don't have churches, that don't have scripture. He was moving on away from those things. And so Jesus, what I want you to see in this, in Paul's life, in my life, in your life, Jesus doesn't save me for my sake. Jesus doesn't save you for your sake. He saved me to send me. He saved you to send you, whatever context that may be. Matthew 4, 19. What does he say to his disciples as he's calling them to follow? He says, come follow me and I will send you out to do what? Fish for people. He meets them in the context of which they're at. They were fishing. They were throwing their nets out, bringing, thing, bringing fish in. He says, come follow me, and I'll, I'll let you fish for people. I'll make you fish for people. I'll bring. And so this is the central role of every person who has surrendered their life to Jesus. This is the central role. Fish for people. Make disciples. Spread the glory of God among all peoples. Where are we at on this? Uh, well, I, thank goodness we took a survey about, about three months ago, four months ago, right? We took a discipleship survey, and this thing was totally anonymous. Nobody knows anything about anybody's spiritual life. We just wanted to see where we were as a church, right? And so of the 55 people that took this, 91% of those people were in a connect group. 55% of those people that took the survey have never shared the gospel with another person. 67% of the people that took the survey are not involved in any sort of discipleship relationship. So let me draw a line in the sand this morning for us because this is not, this is not abnormal. This is normal for the American church. This is You fit right in line with the cultural church of America. This, this is just what we've been taught. And this is no condemnation towards anyone, myself, you, anybody. We're in this together. We're one body. We're a family. We're going to work all this out together. Right, And so my heart is this, is that we can draw a big old line in the sand today and kind of show us where we're at with the Lord and how to get where he's calling us to be. Can we do that? As a family, can we do that this morning? So let's do that. So what is God's, ask yourself this question, what is God's ultimate purpose in all that he's done from day one of creation up until May 8th, 2022? What is his purpose? primary purpose, his ultimate purpose. I want to read some scriptures to you. Just buckle up for a second. They're not going to be on the screen. If you want to write them down, write fast. So Genesis 2, 7 says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust 
of the ground and breathed his life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Genesis 3, 6, sin entered the world. Genesis 3, 15, seven or eight verses after sin entered the world, God made a way for Jesus to come on the scene. He said, I'll put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and, and you will strike his heel. Basically, the, the Satan will seemingly have hit a blow to God by killing Jesus, but he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to stomp his head, defeating Satan and death. Genesis 6, 5, every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. So God answered in Genesis 7. God tells Noah to build an ark because he's going to be destroying the earth, but will save Noah's family because he honored the Lord. The ark is a picture of Jesus saving people from their sin. Genesis 11, 4, it says, and they, come, they said, come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the sky, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Remember, created, we were created to make much of God, not ourselves, right? The result, God scattered and confused the nations. That's where we get our, our languages, the nations, the ethne, the, the Greek word for nations, the people groups. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God calls out Abraham from all the nations, not because he was the, the bravest, the smartest, the best, the brightest, not because the, the Israelites were the, the biggest, because they were the smallest. He says, go from the land, your relatives, and the father's house to land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God gives that same promise to Isaac, to Jacob. Israel's in, in slavery for 400 years. Then Exodus 14 comes around. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That's the heart that God wants his name to go out. Psalms 106, 7 and 8. Our ancestors in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wondrous works or, your, or, or remember your many acts of faithful love. Instead, they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake to make his power known. Salvation is for the Lord. It says Psalm 67. This is on the front window of our church. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us. May, may he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the nations rejoice. Ezekiel 36, therefore say to the house of the Lord, this is what the Lord says. It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord. Zechariah 8, verse 23, the Lord of armies says, in those days, 10 men from nations of every language will grab the robe of a Jewish man tightly and says, let us go with you for you have heard the name of the Lord. You move into Matthew 28, the great commission. Jesus came near. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've observed. I've commanded you. Luke 24 Acts 1.8, we see, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on. you be my witnesses. It goes on and on and on up until Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this, I looked. There was a vast multitude from every nation, every ethnic, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with the palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And it gets even better. Revelation 21. 
I did not see the, I did not see a temple, a church, a synagogue, an area where you worship because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will, they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into that great city. Guys, wake up this morning and hear the beauty of what God wants us to hear. The ultimate purpose of God is to bring people from every nation, people group, to enjoy and exalt him in all of his glory. That's the ultimate purpose. And here's a newsflash this morning for you. You have an enemy trying to stop you from being on mission. You have an enemy trying to stop you from being on mission. I can almost hear many of you thinking this morning as we're sitting here, as we begin to talk about global missions, well, there's enough to do around here, isn't there? There's people all over the world need you. Why do we need to go here? There's enough to do down the street. Why do we got to go? I, I've heard that a million times, and I'm going to rebuttal that with Scripture this morning. Okay, we can talk through that. If that's anybody in this room, let's talk about it. There's an unneeded preface, though. There's this, there, here's an unneeded preface to that thought. It's never global missions versus local outreach. We say it all the time. God's mission is holistic. It's never separated. You can't, you can't have one without the other. But as long as the task is undone, most of our time, our energy, and our people, and our money will go to places where the gospel is not known. Because that's the greatest need. Unreached people in the world have an enemy trying to stop the gospel from getting to them. Do you hear that this morning? The enemy is trying to stop people from going so they never hear, so they can never give God the glory he deserves. Because Satan wants to be worshipped by these false religions. This is why the Great Commission is not a general command to go make as many disciples as you possibly can. We've, we've misinterpreted this scripture for a very long time. Make disciples of all nations. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me disciple this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. This, that's not what the Bible says. The Great Commission is a strategic and specific command to make disciples of all nations. Let's look in verse 20 to 23 again. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in those areas, and I will strongly desire for many years to come to you. Let's break this down. The word nations, the word nations that we talked about a moment ago, we, we, we've already said this, is translated ethnes, E-T-H-N-E, which is where we get the word for ethnic groups in our culture, our people groups, which is where we begin to notice an issue in the modern church. I wish I could tell you how many people, whenever we were painting our sign out there on the wall, said, hey, what's that big old triangle on the wall out there? I wish I could tell you how many people asked me that. It was funny. It was supposed to be funny, guys. Sorry. Uh, I, was trying, I was trying to get my, okay. Whew, tough crowd this morning. So the church, listen, the church has lost sight of the magnitude of the unfinished tasks given to us by God himself. When, we, when, you, when you begin to use words like the 1040 window, people groups, unreached, unengaged, a high percentage of born-again Christians have become uninformed because of the idolatry of the Western church. 
the idolatry of the Western church. We, we've largely taken the call to go and make disciples of all nations. We've watered it down to come and sit and have your ego stroked while missionaries go and pastors preach about this stuff. Can, can, we, can we leak arms today? Can we just gather today in our hearts as one spirit and decide that we will be a church that is laser focused on the mission of God? Can we just do that this morning? Can we, can we come around the gospel this morning and say, hey, we're going to do this together? And I pray this morning, those who are on the outside thinking about this, I pray that your heart would become in line with what the Bible says about God's purposes for the world. And I pray that you would get on board with this because this is where we're going. Just to kind of give you some uh, definitions, a people group. We actually have this on the wall now. Um, people groups is a, a people group is a significantly large group of individuals who, is, who perceive themselves to have a common affinity in one another because of language or culture. So in the world right now, there are 17,000 recognizable people groups or ethnic groups consisting of 7.9 billion people in the world right now. 17,000 people groups representing about 7.9 billion people. I just want to tell you right now, uh, 1 million is a number astronomically high that is hard to fathom how big that number is, right? It, it, it's, it's hard. 7.9 billion is a lot. To count to 1 billion, we've talked about this before, it would take you years and years and years and years and years and years to count to 1 billion, much less fathom the amount of people that that is. An unreached people group. An unreached people group is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize that people group. There may be Christians there, but they're very small in number. There's not enough to create a church. There's not enough to evangelize, make disciples. It's just a very small number. And finally, we get to unengaged people groups. What you see Unengaged people groups is a people group that, that has no known on-site active church planning currently underway. There's nothing. There's no Bible. There's no Christian. There's no, there's no church. There's no small group. There's no nothing. There's no, there's, even if they wanted to know about Jesus and have the opportunity, it's not available. It's not available. And so out of that 7.9 billion people on planet Earth, there are roughly 3.2 billion people in 7,000 unreached or unengaged groups who will live and die without ever having an opportunity to hear the incredible news of what Jesus did for them. They'll never know the gospel or who Jesus is. 3.2 billion. I think I have enough commas. 3.2 billion people. And people are dying by the thousands every day. There has to be an urgency in the church to go. Last week, we interviewed Bo. Bo is going to Indonesia. Bo is going to take his family. He's going to spend three or four years there learning the language before he does any ministry. And he's committing his life for 20 to 25 years. We want to partner with Bo. We want to part as we're going coming together as a, as, a, as a network. We want to go together. And so this might seem... Too much to take in. Like I said, a million is hard to fathom. A billion is mind-blowing. But um, for those of you that are up front, you can probably see there's a table here. Um, Christina Lawson and some other people printed out these. They, they, they spent 150 hours printing out these things. It's over 850 pages to print. Our printing bill is high this year. Okay? We printed out these things. On the back of these cards, there's there's 7,000 cards represented. There's 220 that aren't here. 
but we're going to have them ready ASAP. There's 7,000 cards here. And on this card, like you've been seeing on the screen every week, is a people group from the world. 7,000 different people groups here representing 3.2 billion people on this table, right? And we're going to put these in the hallway out next to our map. And our goal is to get you, your connect group, your family, to take one of these home. You better bring it back or Christina's coming to your house. Okay? She, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. So you take one of these and, and, you, and you read and you pray and you look at this and you look, this is the Pashtun people. These people are actually represented in Savannah right now. There's people from this people group in Savannah that our Hope Academy partner is working with right now. 0.0% evangelized. No Christians in the world that we know of. On the back, there's a prayer. It's a guided prayer. Some of you are like, I don't know how to pray. Well, hey, let's pray scripture, Psalms 86. Lord, I pray that all the posturing people you have made will come and worship you. Oh, Lord, I pray the posturing people will bring glory to your name. You prayed for the posturing. We want to be a church that prays and prays and prays for the people that are unreached. Because if we're not going to go, we got to pray. And we hope people, God would raise up someone from our church to go. So I just wanted to show you this. After church, if you want to come and pray over this table, don't take any of these today. They'll be available next week, maybe. You'll, you'll know when they're available. They'll be on the, they'll be on the wall out there. Um, but what, what I want you to see is the stacks are right here representing 3.2 billion people. There are roughly 7,000 people groups here that have no access to the Bible, a Christian, a church, or the gospel. All these people live in a small section, the 1040 window, the, the square that everybody was asking about out there in the hallway. A lot of people are in that, in that section. I want to show this graphic. A 1040 window is a rectangular area that stretches across northern Africa, the Middle East, parts of Asia, um, and it's approximately 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north latitude. In this area, in this area, there are 5.12 billion people. Most of the world lives there, right? You're like, I ain't living there. Well, I pray God calls you there because you said that, right? Listen, 5.2 billion people live there, and like 8,000 people groups. And in that, those 3.2 people, the 7,000 people groups that don't know Christ live in that rectangle. As you can see, I put some, I put some little pings on here. We have a team that we're going to send the top one. We're about to send a team to Thailand to, 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 for, for 10 days in about three weeks. You guys be praying for them. We're going to be going there. Um, I'll be on that team. We'll be going and looking. We'll be actually be engaging with an unreached village. And so our heart is that we would see um, gospel seeds planted. Bo and his family are going to Indonesia. That's that bottom ping there that you can see. So be praying for these people as we're sitting and as we're going. And so this is why, guys, this is why that the spread of God's glory among all nations is not an optional program for a few Christians in the church. It's not an optional program for a few Christians. The spread of the gospel, the spread of God's glory among all nations is the ultimate purpose for which every Christian has breath. Do you hear that this morning? I pray that you understand that the spread of God's glory among all nations is the ultimate purpose for which every Christian has breath. Because here's the problem. Churches are spending approximately 1% of our missions resources among the 3 billion people and 7,000 people groups who haven't heard the gospel. As a whole, churches, not just us, all the churches in the world, are sending 1% out of 100%. To, to, can we throw that back up for a second? We're sending only 1% to the 1040 window. To the, to the place that has the most need, we're sending 1%. The other 99%, guess where it goes? The places that already have the gospel. 
The places that have churches, the places that have vibrant lives, churches making disciples, the places that, are, are, that have already been reached with the gospel. Are those places any less important? No, those places are very important. Those places need to be discipled and led, raising up pastors. Those things are important. But most of our financial support cannot go to a place that's reached. It needs to go to a place that's unreached. One cent out of every dollar goes to the, goes to the 1040 window. One missionary out of 10 goes to the 1040 window. So put it another way. Churches are spending approximately 99% of our missionary resources in places that already have the gospel. This is what we call the great imbalance. The great imbalance. So therefore, the ultimate purpose of every Christian and church is to worship God among all nations, to see God worshiped among all nations. Every follower of Christ should live to spread the gospel, to spread God's praises among all peoples in the world. And if you're not if you've given into the world system of just checking the boxes of life, living and working and getting married and having 2.5 kids, saving for retirement, retiring, having some grandkids and dying peacefully in a nursing home somewhere, I'm here to shake you up a little bit this morning and say you're missing it. You're missing it. I, I'm sorry, but biblically, you're missing it. And I, I, I don't want you to miss it. I want to do this with you. God has called every one of us who confess Christ as Lord to live a life submitted to the King of kings and the Lord of lords fully awake. I don't want to die in nursing them. I want to die on the mission field. I want, I want, to, I want to dive into heaven head first, dirty and, and beat up because I've given every last amount of my energy to see the kingdom come to this place and see the, his, his name preached among the nations. You guys have a shirt. We've said connection. We say it like this. Every member is a missionary. Does that mean every member goes? No, that's not what that means. That means, but that does mean every member is fully engaged in the mission of God. That means you may be here sending, equipping, you may be praying, you may be, you may be a welcomer, people who are here who are unreached. You're, you're the posture downtown. You may be going there to love on them. What I mean by every member is a missionary is we mean that every covenant member of our church, every person running around these halls with a heart and soul t-shirt should be engaged strategically in the Great Commission, whether it's sending, going, praying, equipping. And we want to send every member, every member, we want to send every single person that calls Connection Church home to our neighborhoods and to the nations. Because we believe that every one at Connection is called to be a part of discipling the nations. This is strategic. This is not chaotic. And you can't do this as a rogue Christian. Listen, the Spirit of God, this is something to think about, really. Think about this. The Spirit of God is laser-focused on seeing His glory reach all nations. Would you agree with that? As you read the Bible, you you would see that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Trinity, is laser-focused on seeing His name reach the ends of the earth, right? If you're a Christian in this place, if you're a born-again believer, that means the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God lives in you, And if you have the Spirit of God living in you, the question is, as a disciple, are you laser-focused on seeing His glory reach the nations, reach the ends of the earth? And if if you're not, then what does that mean? Because if the Spirit of God living in you is laser-focused in a direction, and the Spirit of God living in you has that, and you're not living that way, what does that mean about your life? What does that mean about your direction in life? What does that mean about where you're at? I just want to call in the question of where we're at in this as a church, because when it comes to a disciple, being a missionary, I think there's a couple of things that I want to, I want to kind of bring to our attention today before we go, real quick. Really quick. And there's two things, two points today. The first one And I think it kind of solidifies what Paul was saying in Romans 15. 
The first thing is our purposes in life must begin with God's purposes in Scripture. Our purposes in life must begin with God's purposes in Scripture. Would y'all agree with that this morning? Like our purposes in life must begin with God's purposes in Scripture. And so notice, notice how Paul grounds his understanding of his calling and God's purposes on earth as he's talking. Right after he states his purpose, what does he say? Romans um, 15, 20. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so I will not build on anyone else's foundation. Right after he says that, he immediately turns to Scripture in Romans 15, verse 21. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Personally, I would have expected Paul to have grounded his explanation of the purpose of his life with his Damascus Road experience, right? Being knocked off his horse, being blinded by a great light, hearing the voice of God saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. Isn't that where you'd start? That's where I'd start. I mean, I, hey, guys, one day I was going down this road. God knocked me off my horse, and I was blind, and I went to Ananias. He, he scales fell off my eyes. I was in training for a few years. Now I'm here. This is what God wants you to do. No, but that's not where Paul starts, and I think it's so he can be an example for us because most of us will not have a Damascus Road experience, you see. But all, but all of us have the Word. Yeah? All of us have the Word. And that's the place you're supposed to begin in figuring out God's purposes for your life. In this room, who would say, hey, man, I'm busy? Okay, yeah, let's be honest. <laughs> busy. We're, a lot of us are busy in this room, right? A lot of us are busy. What's the first thing that the enemy tries to take off your plate? I ain't got time. I've been reading plan, man. I started so good in March, I'm done. Right, <laughs> I got through Deuteronomy, hit Leviticus. Nah, can't do it. I was like, whew. Like it's the, first, the next thing, what's the next? Uh, prayer, right? Prayer. You have an enemy trying to get you off mission. So let me ask you, have you ever asked yourself how well, this is a big question. Have you ever asked yourself how well your life goals line up with Scripture? When I ask people what they want to do, especially people graduating high school or college or, or people that just ain't got their life together, even their 30s and 40s and 50s, who knows? I don't know. But when, but when, they, when I ask people what they want to do, I hear things like, I want to be a doctor. I want to teach kids. I want to own my own business to have, make my own schedule. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. I want to be a stay-at-home dad. I want to, I want to make a million dollars. I want to do all these things. I want to do, and there's nothing wrong with any of these answers, but often I ask believers or, or followers of Christ what their ambitions have to do with God's agenda, and then I get blank stares, right? What does this have to do with God's mission on earth? And it's like, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. You know, I need to pray about that. You know, and it comes back around to see that, that God is doing something on earth and he's told us about it very clearly in scripture and our understanding of our ambition has to begin with his. Our understanding of our ambition in life has to begin with his ambition in life or we have to stop saying we're following Jesus, right? Because we're not. Because if we said, hey, I follow Jesus and my life's ambition is nothing like his, that I'm not following Jesus, I'm following myself and hoping Jesus would bless me along the way. And so my heart's desire today is that we would see that this is, this is a hard truth, but this is not being ugly. This is just trying to show you where Paul's heart was with the mission of God, guys, because what happens in the church we're, we're like narcissists when it comes to the will of God sometimes. We're, we're into the Enneagrams and personality profiles and the strength finders. 
We want to know about us. How do I take? How do you take? How can I relate better with you and you to me? Which those things are important. Those things are important. But before those things are relevant, we have to figure out what God is doing in the world and conform to that. Right? So this morning, as I was, I was reading this week, and uh, Christopher Wright, he's an Old Testament scholar, he pinpoints this problem well. He says, where does God fit into my story? We ask, where does God fit into my story? When the real question is, where does my life, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? Listen, Paul understood that he was a part of a bigger story that superseded the outcome of his small story. The faster that we can understand that, the better. You understand that when Paul finally gets to Rome, guess what happens? He's saying, hey, I hope to come to you so that I can, under- I can encourage you while I'm going to Spain. I hope I can see you. But when he finally gets to Rome, what happened? He never left. He dies there. He gets, he get, a lot of people think he gets beheaded there. And Paul knew that might happen, but he had surrendered his story to a greater story that he was sure would end in victory in which no sacrifice was going to be wasted. When he would look back at any sacrifice that he had to make, he had made, what does he say? It was worth it. What is he saying? He says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It doesn't matter if I'm here or if I'm there. Don't, don't you want to live in a way that you can say that this morning? And we can come and listen to a sermon and we can come to a Bible study, and we can come get fired up with some awesome worship. Our worship team is the best in the land. We can do all that. But guess what? If we walk out the door and make no adjustments to how we live our life, spend our money, spend our time, spend our energy, all that, nothing's going to change, and we're going to live our lives the same. If we're comfortable in our convictions without changing in our convictions, it's, it's not good. Look here. Have you ever really thought about your life through the lens of eternity and what God is doing in the world? Here, in in Romans 15, don't miss this. When Paul quotes the Old Testament, verse 10 and 13, he quotes passages from all three major parts of the Old Testament. Don't miss anything in Scripture. There's so many details. He, He quotes the law, then he quotes the prophets, and then he quotes from the poetry. And it's almost as like Paul was saying, all of the Old Testament is organized around God making his name known among all nations. You see that? And therefore, I plan to organize my life around that purpose also. And so my heart today is that we would begin and end our life with understanding that our purposes in life have to be grounded in God's purposes in Scripture. The last thing, the second point. God's our global missions, global missions is a command for every Christian at every local church. Global missions is a command for every Christian at every local church. We see this in Scripture. We have to get our terminology correct there, right? Global missions is defined as great commission fulfillment. Going to places where the Bible is not, going to places where the gospel is not, and getting the gospel there. Romans 15, verse 17 to 24, we just read that. Talked about, you know, his aim is to preach the gospel where it's not. He's, you know, he wants to go and he doesn't have any work to do in those regions because it's, it's, everything's been done. Guys, one of the missions, convictions at Connection Church Savannah is the local church is responsible for developing, sending out, and caring for those God calls from among the body. Because listen to this, God calls the church sins. This has been a a misunderstanding for a very long time because the church has been very stagnant, sitting on our hands for a very long time. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13 really quick. If you have your Bible, it's not going to be on the screen. We look here at a very great example of how God calls missionaries. It says this in verse 1. 
Acts 13, verse 1 to 3. It says, Now in the church at Antioch, that's in Syria, there was, Antioch is the best church, planning church in the history of the church. You can go back and look at it. It's incredible. There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were what? Worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them out. So I want you to notice a couple of things here. Who did God address in this scripture? Did he address Paul and Barnabas? No, he addressed the church. He addressed the church, not Paul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit highlighted Paul and Barnabas to the elders of the church in Antioch to go as representatives for the church in Antioch. God called them out, and then the church sent them out. God was speaking to the church. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. For what? The local ministry. What's the local ministry? The local ministry is what we do in this church. We serve on Sundays. We serve in our communities. We're in connect groups. We have outreach opportunities. We, do, we, go, to the, we go on mission trips. We do all these different things. Discipleship, all the things that we do as a church that we want to continue to do and broaden our perspective in those things. Paul and Barnabas was, were rising to the top. They were committed. They were, they were invested. It was their, it was their church. They were, they were investing in it. They were members of it. So set apart Paul and Barnabas from the local ministry. For what? To take the gospel where it's not. And so what is a missionary? In our, in our church, we want to define a missionary as this. A disciple of Jesus set apart by the Holy Spirit and sent out by a local church to cross cultural, linguistic, and usually geographic barriers as a part of a missionary team focused on establishing healthy churches among unreached peoples in places. You don't have to write that down if you want, then I can give it to you. All these notes I can just give to you, so don't, don't hurt yourself trying to write this down. I'd rather you hear this. It's a big, big definition because, guys, the missionary doesn't direct the ship. The church sends the missionary to the places God is calling the particular local church to go. And I want to tell you, this is an important note. Please hear this. If we're not making disciples at home, we won't have any missionaries to send. You hear that? If we don't have any missionaries at home in our church, we won't have any missionaries to send. And what we're doing here is important. We're building culture. We're family. We're existing and glorifying God as we come together and worship. But Satan knows that that he knows this fact that if we don't make disciples here, we won't have any to send there. And he's working to that end to keep you off mission, to keep you disengaged with the church, to keep you un, uh, just to keep you dissatisfied with the church. You know, one of the one of the qualities we're looking for to at identifying the people we're going to send is the is the qualifications of an elder. They're above reproach. They're able to teach. They're growing with the Lord. They're able to lead people. The enemy wants to stunt your growth. He wants to keep you where you're at. He wants to divide and conquer. Because let me tell you, calling is not an, a special experience for a sacred if you It's a basic element of the Christian faith. Guys, when believers accept Jesus, they accept his call to join him on his mission. The question then is not if our people are sent on mission, but only where and how. It's not the question in your life, if you're a believer of Christ, if you're a born-again Christian, it's, the question is no longer, hey, am I, am I sent? Am I a missionary? No, the only question is, where am I sent? <coughs> and how am I going to get there? Are you a goer, a sender, an equipper, an intercessor, or a welcomer? We can't, and listen, I, 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 grew, I grew up in this type of culture. We can't say, 
I'm not called to be a missionary. Like God has put a seal on your life to never send you as a goer. As if your current status is your eternal status. You can't right now just be like, hey, I'm not called to go, so I'm just go about my life. Do this. God may call you when you're 60 to go. God may call you next year or the year after that or the, when you're what, right now. You know, my heart is that we would have ears to listen because there's nothing optional about disciples of Christ participating in the mission of God. Our only task is to discern how we participate. And that's what I want us to do this, to, this morning as we get ready to close because being a missionary isn't about calling, it's about obedience. And that discipleship survey that I shared with you earlier, I mentioned earlier, 94% of our congregation said they believe the local church is called to be deeply involved in equipping and sending missionaries where the gospel is not. That's good. That's a great thing. Here's what else is awesome. And I wish I hadn't made it anonymous whenever I saw this. Four people said God has called them to be missionaries among the unreached of the world. I don't know who you are, but I want to talk to you. Okay, like that's you this morning, or if you're online, give me a call. Uh, I'd like to talk to you after service of that shit. I'd like to get that ball rolling and see what God has for that. Four people said God has called them to be missionaries among the unreached. I was floored. Who are you? <laughs> Come see me. Um, 14 people said I might be called to go, but I'm not sure. Now, that's 18 people who's, who have assented to the fact that they may be called to go to the unreached. Guys, that's a big deal. That's we're, that's, that's huge. So don't underestimate a moment what, for what God wants to do through your life. Whether you're a student, a teenager in here, for what God wants to do with your life. Whether you're a, a single, married, divorced, whatever, whatever it may be. Husband, wife, leader, couple. Don't underestimate what God wants to do through your life. In just a few seconds, we're going to sing the song, Christ Be Magnified. And while we sing these amazing lyrics, let's pray and ask God a question. Ask God, what have you called me to do in the church to play my part in the mission? What have you called me to do in the church to play my part in the mission? Am I called to go? Am I called to be an equipper? Am I called to pray? Am I called to mobilize, to sin? Whatever it is, we're called to do it together as missionaries. Guys, and when you know, I, I, when you know the answer to that, I'd encourage you to tell your connect group leader or someone here today, hey, this is what God's called me to do because it's never too late to ask and receive an assignment from God because let's, well, when Paul wrote Romans, Paul was 60 when he said this. Not, uh, there, there's, there's nothing more for me to do. Let's, let's move to Florida and pick up some seashells. That's not what he said. He didn't say, let's retire here and do this. No, he says, there's nothing left for me to do here for gospel work. I'm going to move on. He, I'm going to go to Spain. He probably had to learn Latin to go to Spain, right? So in his 60s, he's going to learn Latin and move to Spain. This man was on mission. And as he walked forward in obedience, God clarified his purpose. And so this morning, I don't know where you are. If you don't know the Lord, come see me at church. Let's talk about that. This morning, if you're, if you're wrestling with a calling, let's talk about that. But let's just pray and let's ask God to beat me with us here in this last few moments. God, I pray that you would use our individual lives and our church to rectify the great imbalance, Lord. I pray that you would put a fire in our hearts, God, in our gut, Father, to obey the Great Commission, to play our part in achieving your ultimate purpose in this earth of, of seeing your name reach the places where it's not. Father, I pray that we would be a church, God, that you would just 
motivate us into action. You would move us into action. God, you burden our hearts, God, for the people that have never heard the gospel, Father. I pray this morning, God, for the people on this table, the 7,000 unreached people groups. God, as we come around this table and pray for these people, God, that we would understand that this is a real thing, Father. This is not just religion. This is not just some game we're playing, God. This is life and death, Father. Eternity, this is heaven, this is hell, Father. And you've given us a place at the table to be a part of your mission. God, I pray that as a church, we would not take that lightly, God, but we would be focused and and full of joy and full of energy, God, to, to be about your business and about building your kingdom, Lord. God, our culture has, has taught us so many things that, that to worship so many things that we put before you, God. I pray right now in Jesus' name, God, that you would just knock over those idols, God, that you would destroy those idols in our heart, God, that you would reveal the things in our lives, God, that, that we try to hide or we try to remove um, your, your, your presence from. God, I pray that you would come into every dark corner of our life, God, and illuminate our hearts, God, and, and move us into action, God, that we would not be a church that plays games with the Great Commission or, or people's lives that don't know you, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would be very real to us this morning, God, that you would allow us to move out of the way, Father, so that you can do your work. God, help us to be missionaries, God, in this city, around the world, God, in our homes. God, we love you. We pray um, that you would be with us, Father, as we sing. God, fill our words with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.